Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 65. Continuing more to the end of our Historic Preservation uh, series of episodes, um, this episode is going to be uh, titled uh, The Secretary of the Interior Standards for the Treatment of Historic Properties. Everyone shall listen to to this multiple times to know what the Interior Secretary recommends. Okay, on preservation, restoration, uh, etc. So uh, let's get started. This should be some very um, interesting points made and uh, take a lot of notes from this. So, so we're just going to start with a quick overview and then get into th- what, what they recommend or what he recommends for preservation. But the Secretary of the Interior Standards recognized four separate treatment approaches, preservation, rehabilitation, restoration, and reconstruction to any construction project involving a historic building. Accordingly, standards and guidelines have been developed to assist in determining which course of action should be pursued and in defining which technologies are appropriate to use in each case. So we're going to start off with preservation, the standards that we should be held to when we're uh, rehabilitating or restoring historic properties. Standards on the preservation end. So number one, a property will be used as it was historically or be given a new use of, that maximizes the retention of distinctive materials, features, spaces, spaces, and spatial relationships. Where treatment and use have not been identified the property will be protected and, if necessary, stabilized until additional work may be undertaken. Number two, the historic character of a property will be retained and preserved. The replacement of intact or repairable historic material material or alteration of features, spaces, and spatial relationships that characterize a property will be avoided. Number three, each property will be recognized as a physical record of its time, place, and use. Work needed to stabilize, consolidate, and conserve existing historic materials and features will be physically and visually compatible, identifiable upon close inspection, and properly documented for future research. Number four. Changes to a property that have acquired historic significance in their own right will be retained and preserved. Number five, distinctive materials, features, finishes, and construction techniques or examples of high-grade craftsmanship that characterize a property will be preserved. Number six, the existing condition of historic features that will be evaluated to determine the appropriate level of intervention needed, where the severity of the deterioration requires repair or limited replacement of a distinctive feature. The new material will match the old in composition, design, color, and even texture. Number seven, chemical or physical treatments, if appropriate, will be undertaken using the gentlest, most sympathetic means possible. Treatments that cause damage to historic materials will not be allowed to be used. Number eight, 
archaeological resources will be protected and preserved in place. If such resources must be disturbed, mitigation features will be undertaken. So let's go over some guidelines for preservation as a philosophical treatment approach. So let's have an introduction. When the property's distinctive materials, features, and spaces are essentially intact and thus convey the historic significance without extensive repair or replacement, when depiction of a particular period of time is not appropriate, and when a continuing or new use does not require additions or extensive alterations. Preservation may be considered as a treatment at that point. Prior to undertaking work, a documentation plan for preservation should be developed. In preservation, the options for replacement are less extensive than in the treatment and rehabilitation. This is because it is assumed that the, from the outset that building materials and character-defining features are essentially intact. For example, that more historic fabric has survived and it's, much of it is unchanged over time. The express goal of the standards of preservation and guidelines for preserving historic buildings is retention of the building's existing form, features, and detailing at any cost. If you're replacing bricks, you find old bricks from the same period in the same region to uh, do the restoration and preservation. So this may be as simple as basic maintenance of existing materials and features or may even involve preparing a historic structure report, undertaking laboratory testing, such as paint or mortar analysis, and hiring conservators or historic preservationists to perform sensitive work such as reconstituting interior finishes. Protection, maintenance, and repair are highly and heavily emphasized while replacement is minimal, minimalized. So to identify, retain, and preserve historic, historic materials and features. The guidance for the treatment preservation begins with recommendations to identify the form and detailing of those architectural materials and features that are important in defining the building's historic character and which may be retained in order to preserve that character. Therefore, guidance on identifying, retaining, and preserving character-defining features is always given first. The character of a historic building may be defined by the form and detailing of of exterior materials such as masonry, wood, and metal. Exterior features such as roofs, porches, and windows, interior materials such as plaster and paint, and interior features such as moldings and stairways, room configuration and spatial relationships, as well as structural and mechanical systems and the building's site and setting. Deteriorated portions of a historic building may need to be protected through preliminary stabilization measures, until additional work can be undertaken. Stabilizing may include structural reinforcement, weatherization, or correcting unsafe conditions. Temporary stabilization should always be carried out in such a manner that it detracts as little as possible from the historic building's appearance. Although it may not be necessary in every preservation project, stabilization is nonetheless an integral part of the treatment 
self-preservation. It is equally applicable if circumstances warrant for those other treatments. After identifying those materials and features that are important and must be retained in the process of preservation work, then protecting (coughs) and maintaining them must be addressed carefully. Protection generally involves the least degree of intervention and preparatory to other work. For example, protection includes the maintenance of historic materials through treatments such as rust removal, caulking, limited paint removal, (coughs) excuse me, and reapplication of protective coatings, the cyclical cleaning of roof gutter systems, or even the installation of fencing, alarm systems, and other temporary protective measures. Although historic building will usually require more extensive work, an overall evaluation of its physical condition should always begin at this level. Next, when the physical condition of character-defining materials and features requires additional work, for instance, repairing by stabilizing, consolidating, and conserving is recommended. Preservation strives to retain existing materials and features while employing as little new material as possible. Consequently, guidance for repairing a historic material, such as masonry, again begins with the least degree of intervention possible, such as strengthening fragile materials through consolidation when appropriate and repointing with, say, mortar of the appropriate strength and, uh, and type. Repairing masonry as well as wood and architectural metal features may also include patching, splicing, or otherwise reinforcing them by using unrecognized preservation methods. Similarly, when the treatment preservation portions of a historic structural system could be reinforced using contemporary materials such as steel rods, all work should be physically and visually compatible, identifiable on close inspection, and documented for future research. If repair by stabilization, consolidation, and conservation proves inadequate, the next level of intervention involves the limited replacement in kind of extensively deteriorated or missing parts of features when they are surviving prototypes, for example, brackets, dentals, steps, plaster, or portions of slate on the tile roof. But you must make sure that these items or these objects or these materials are original to the building. The replacement material needs to match the old both physically and visually. For example, wood with wood. Thus, with the, in- <clears throat> with the exception of hidden structural reinforcement and new mechanical system components, substitute materials are not appropriate in the treatment of pr- the, the word preservation. Again, it is important that all new material be identified and properly documented for future research. If prominent features are missing, such as an interior staircase, exterior cornice, or a roof dormer, then a rehabilitation or restoration treatment may be more apropos. So, these sections of the preservation guidelines address work done to meet accessibility requirements for health and safety code requirements, or limited retrofitting measures to improve energy efficiency. Although this work is quite often an important aspect of preservation projects, 
it is usually not part of the overall process of protecting, stabilizing, conserving, or repairing character-defining features of a dwelling. Rather, such work is assessed for its potential negative impact on the building's historic characteristics. For this reason, particular care must be taken not to obscure, damage, or destroy character-defining materials or features in the process of undertaking work to meet code and energy requirements. So we're going to talk about rehabilitation now. This will be the low end of the totem pole. The standards for rehabilitation. Let's get a drink here. Number one, a property will be used as it was historically or will be given a new use that requires minimal change to its distinctive materials, features, spaces, and spatial relationships. Number two, the historic character of a property will be retained and preserved. The removal of distinctive materials or alteration of features, spaces, or spatial relationships that characterize a property will be avoided. Number three, each property will be recognized as a physical record of its time, place, and use. Changes that create a false sense of historical development, such as adding conjectural features or elements from, their historic, from other historic properties, will not be approved or undertaken. Number four, changes to a property that have acquired historic significance in their own right will be retained and preserved. Number five, distinctive materials, features, finishes, and construction techniques or examples of craftsmanship that characterize a property will be preserved under any cost. Number six, deteriorated historic features will be repaired rather than replaced. Where the severity of deterioration requires replacement of a distinctive feature, the new feature will match the old in design, color, texture, and where possible, materials. Replacement of missing features will be substantiated by documentary and physical evidence. Number seven, chemical or physical treatments, if inappropriate, will be undertaken using the gentlest means possible. Treatments that cause damage to historic fabric will not be used. Number eight, archaeological resources will be protected and preserved in place. If such resources must be disturbed, mitigation features and measures will be undertaken. Number nine, new additions, exterior alterations, or related new construction will, will not destroy historic materials. It cannot. Features and spatial relationships that characterize the property. The new work shall be differentiated by the old and will be compatible with the historic materials, features, size, scale, and proportion, and massing to protect the integrity of the property and its environment. The total package. Number 10. New additions and, and adjacent or related new construction will be undertaken in such a manner that, if removed in the future, the essential form and integrity of the historic property and its environment will, 
will be unaffected by this. Number 10, new additions and adjacent <clears throat> related or new construction will be undertaken in such a manner that if removed in the future, the essential form and integrity of the historic property and its environment will be unimpaired. So let's talk about some guidelines for rehabilitation, such as a philosophical treatment approach. So say so when, when repair and replacement of deteriorated features are necessary, when alterations or additions to the property are planned for a new or continued use, and when its depiction of a particular period of time is not appropriate, rehabilitation may be considered as a treatment. So prior to undertaking work, a documentation plan for rehabilitation should be developed. If rehabilitation, the historic building materials and character defining features are protected and maintained as they are in the treatment of preservation. However, an assumption is made prior to work that existing historic fabric has become damaged or deteriorated over time and, as a result, more repair and replacement will be required. Thus, latitude it will be well given in the standards of rehabilitation and guidelines for rehabilitation to replace extensively deteriorated, damaged, or missing features using either traditional or substitute methods. So the four treatments, only rehabilitation includes an opportunity to make possible efficient contemporary use through alterations and or additions. So like preservationists, preservation, guidance for the historic rehabilitation begins with recommendations to identify the form and detailing of those architectural materials and features that are important in defining the building's historic character with, and which must be retained in order to preserve that character. Therefore, guidance on identifying, retaining, and preserving character-defining features is always given first. The character of a historic building may be defined by the form and detailing of historic materials, such as masonry, wood, and metal. Exterior features, such as roofs, porches, and windows. Interior materials, such as plaster and paint. And interior features such as moldings and stairways, room configurations, and spatial relationships, as well as structural and mechanical systems. So after identifying those materials and features that are important and must be retained in the process of rehabilitation work, then protecting and maintaining them are addressed. Protection generally involves the least degree of intervention and is preparatory to other work. For example, protection includes the maintenance of historic material through treatments such as rust removal, caulking, limited paint removal systems, or installation of fencing, alarm systems, and other temporary protective measures. Although a historic building will usually require more extensive work, an overall evaluation of its physical condition should always begin at this level. Next, when the physical condition of character defining and features warrants additional work, repairing is highly recommended. Rehabilitation guidance for the repair of historic materials, 
such as masonry, wood, and architectural metals, again, <clears throat> begins with the least degree of intervention as possible. And such patching, piecing in, splicing, consolidating, or otherwise reinforcing or upgrading them according to recognized preservation methods. Repairing also includes the limited replacement in kind or with compatible substitute materials of extensively deteriorated or missing parts of features when there are surviving prototypes available, such as brackets, dentals, steps, plasters, or even portions of slate or tile roofing. Although using the same kind of material is always the preferred option, substitute material is acceptable if the form and design, as well as the substitute material itself, convey the visual appearance of the remaining parts of the feature and finish of the dwelling in question. The following repair is the hierarchy. So rehabilitation guidance is provided for replacing an entire character-defining feature with new material because the level of deterioration or damage of materials precludes repair. For example, an interior cornice, an interior staircase, or a complete porch or storefront. If the essential form and detailing are still evident so that the physical evidence can be used to reestablish the feature as an integral part of the rehabilitation, then its replacement is appropriate. Like the guidance for repair, the preferred option is always replacement of the entire feature in kind, that is, with the same material, because this approach may not always be technically or economically feasible. Provisions are made to consider the use of a compatible substitute material. It should be noted that, while that, say the National Park Service guidelines recommend the replacement of an entire character-defining feature that is extensively deteriorated, they never recommend removal or replacement with new, mater new material of a feature that, although damaged or deteriorated, could <clears throat> reasonably be repaired and thus preserved. When an, an entire interior or exterior feature is missing, for example, the entranceway or cast iron facade or even the principal staircase, it no longer plays a role in physically defining the historic character of the building unless it can be accurately recovered in form and <clears throat> form and detailing through the process of careful documenting the historical appearance. I just want to add being located here in South Jersey, I find it quite uh, uh, quite jovial, to put it mildly, that, you know, some some people move into historic houses and and uh, or older houses, and you can tell the houses are old, but they they take up all the uh, inquisitions and, and everybody's assumption in the past in the neighborhood about how old the house is and is this original is that original and they have no idea and it's 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 one hell of a joke let me tell you. And one example is in Salem, New Jersey, and there's a house that claims to be the oldest house in Salem County. Now I don't know if some guy had a little too much moonshine back in the 1850s or 1830s. And he said it and somebody heard it and then somebody else heard it. And the present day owners believe it. Now, my philosophy is 
If you can't see a damn thing and you can't see the damn thing on the exterior, interior, or in the walls or in the foundation that warrants anything of an extremely old or the oldest building in a town or city, there's a problem there. There's been a lot of fakery, deception, and changes over the years on many of these problems that are these properties are quote historical, and you have the present day owners that believe them. And they go ahead and they even sex them up with more fake colonial stuff on the inside, fake colonial decorating. So uh, so this oldest house in Salem, New Jersey, it's not the oldest house. It's not even close. But uh, be as it may, we'll let those people think that they have something old, okay? Uh, but let's get on with it. So though, although uh, accepting the loss is one possibility, there is an important architectural feature is missing. Its replacement is always recommended in the rehabilitation guidelines as the first or preferred course of action. Thus, if adequate historical, pictorial, or physical documentation exists so that the feature may be accurately reproduced, and if it is desirable to reestablish the feature as part of the building's historical appearance, then designing and constructing a new feature based on such information is even appropriate. However, a second acceptable option for the replacement feature of the new design that is compatible with the remaining character-defining features of the historic building. The new design should always take into account the size, scale, and material of the building itself, and most importantly, should be clearly differentiated so that a false historical appearance is not created. Some exterior and interior alterations to historic building are generally needed to assure its continued use, but it's most important that such alterations do not radically change, obscure, or even destroy character-defining spaces, materials, features, or even finishes. Alterations may include providing additional parking space on an existing historic building site, cutting new entrances or windows on secondary elevations by inserting an additional floor. <clears throat> Let's go back one more time. Alterations may include, for new use, providing additional parking space on an existing historic building site, cutting new entrances or windows on secondary elevations, even inserting an additional floor. This is okay, they say. Installing an entirely new mechanical system or creating an atrium or a light well. Alteration may also include the selective removal of buildings or other features of the environment or building site that are intrusive and therefore detract from the overall historic character of the main dwelling in question. The construction of an exterior addition to a historic building may seem to be essential for the new use, but it is emphasized in the rehabilitation guideline that such new additions should be avoided, if possible, and considered only after it is determined that those needs cannot be met by alternating secondary, for example, non-character-defining interior spaces. So if, after a thorough evaluation of interior solutions, an exterior addition is still judged to be the only viable alternative. It should be designed and constructed to be clearly differentiated from the historic building itself, and so that the character-defining features are not radically changed, obscured, damaged, and or destroyed. Additions and alterations to historic buildings 
are referred within specific sections of these rehabilitation guidelines we're talking about, such as site, roofs, structural systems, etc., but are addressed in detail in new additions to historic buildings. So <clears throat> these sections of, of these guidelines address work done to meet accessibility requirements and health and safety code requirements, or retrofitting measures to improve energy efficiency. Although this work is quite often an important aspect of rehabilitation projects, it is usually not part of the overall process of protecting or repairing character-defining features. Rather, such work is assessed for its potential negative impact on the building's historic character. So for this reason, particular care must be taken not to radically change, obscure, damage, or destroy character-defining materials or features in the process of meeting code or energy requirements. And that sums us up for about part one of what we're... uh, we're on tonight, part one, um, talking about these guidelines and uh, these very important guidelines. So that kind of <clears throat> sums this up. And, and just want to say, if anybody wants to see us at the Historic Preservationist um, in the studio or on site, um, look us up um, at the Historic Preservationist, all one words and all small or lowercase uh, IGTV, The Historic Preservationist, on our YouTube channel, or The Historic Preservationist on our IGTV channel. So uh, that's all for now. We have uh, part two coming up, uh, next episode of, of this. Greg Perry, The Historic Preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.